0: As we look at Psalm 119, I want to begin by saying from my vantage point, there is not another chapter in the Bible, and that would be Old Testament and New Testament, that exalts the word of God like the 119th Psalm. It is the best of the best when it comes to underscoring and emphasizing God's holy word. There are a lot of great statements. I wish we had time to look at every verse in Psalm 119. But there are three things that I want to share with you tonight as we think about developing an appreciation for truth. And ultimately what we want to do is to develop a greater appreciation for the word of God. And the songs that we have been privileged to sing together tonight have accentuated God's holy word. That precious book, divine. And so, the first thing I want to do is encourage you to consider with me the importance of choosing the truth. We must first and foremost choose the truth. When I say that, what what I'm really trying to stress is that we must make a decision on God's holy word. We have to decide is the truth of God for me? Is it for you? Look, if you would, at what the psalmist said in verse 30 of Psalm 119. He said, I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. I wish that I could say that every person in our country, in our world, had that kind of appreciation for the word of God. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be somewhat of a revolution in our country if men and women said, I have chosen the way of truth. Sadly, we live in a nation that has in many respects striven to to purge God's word from the public sector. Things have changed dramatically in the nation and we have looked at some of the changes that have taken place in our nation in recent weeks and months the fact of the matter is things have changed. Now as we think about deciding on the word of God or making the decision to follow the truth, let me just very quickly talk to you about the implications of rejecting God's word. I believe that there is great wisdom in choosing God's word for our, for our personal lives. But there are some repercussions when we say no to the word of God. Those repercussions are applicable individually and collectively. When we talk about those who reject God's word, let me just suggest to you that when people say no to the Bible, it negatively impacts, first and foremost, the home. Look at homes all across our nation. Sadly and unfortunately, homes in the Lord's church have been impacted because people in the body of Christ have not been what they ought to be and they haven't loved the word of God and they haven't sought to internalize the word of God in their own lives and so their homes, their marriages, their families have paid a heavy price. So I think first of all, the home suffers and then secondly, the government. Our government is moving in a direction away from, from God, away from the Word of God. Now somebody has said, and I think it, I think it to be the I think it to be the case, that as the home goes, so goes the nation. We wonder why our nation is in tatters tonight. Well, let me tell you why it's in tatters. Because we've we've rejected the Word of God and it has impacted the homes of our nation. And so the government suffers immensely. And then our schools. Look at, look at our school systems on the east coast, the west coast, to the north, to the south. It's the same everywhere you go for the most part. Problems. Problems that really can be traced back to evolution, to to a desire to move away from the teaching of the Bible. I've shared with you on more than one occasion the fact that when I was in elementary school, we had public prayer, we had the public reading of God's word, we said the Pledge Pledge of Allegiance. Those things took place in a public school. It seems to me that in our country today, that if you really want to get on someone's taboo list, then just start advocating a need to incorporate the word of God into our government, into our lives, because for the most part, people don't want it. And then I think about the implications of rejecting the word of God in the corporate world, in the business world, in areas of employment. Look at the increase in white collar crimes. Look at some of the other problems that are ongoing in our country. Why is that? Because people have said no to the word of God. Now I want to emphasize that there is wisdom in choosing the Bible. Let me give you two things that I believe underscore the importance of making a wise choice as it relates to truth. First of all, the Bible is trustworthy. I don't know of another book on planet earth that that is as trustworthy as God's holy word. This book has been placed under a microscope by skeptics and infidels down through the years. There have been individuals who have literally despised and hated God's holy word. They have sought to the best of their ability to undermine the credibility of this book They have sought to undermine the authenticity of this book and yet the Bible lives on. The Bible is a trustworthy book. Everything that is said in this book is trustworthy. It is truth. You remember what Jesus said to Pontius Pilate in the long ago? Well, Pontius Pilate said, What is truth? Jesus in John 17, 17 said, sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. God's word is truth in Psalm 119, 142. The psalmist said, your law is true. In verse 151, he said, all of your commandments are truth. This book that we hold in our hands, that we call the Bible, it is truth. It will better us individually. It will better us collectively. It will better us nationally. It will better us globally. This book is trustworthy. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It is God-breathed. Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1 that holy men of God spoke as they were moved or borne along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, holy men of God were inspired by the Holy Spirit to record the contents of this book. And so, you and I, we have a book that is trustworthy. Not only is the Bible trustworthy, but I would submit unto you, it is timeless. Generations come and generations go. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. Years roll on, and yet the word of God continues to remain relevant to those of us who live here on planet earth. That ought to say something to us about the fact that this book is inspired. That ought to tell us that this book is set apart from all other books. There are a lot of great books in our world. There are books of poetry. There are books of philosophy. There are books of history. There are books of science. There are books of medicine. But every book pales in comparison to the book of all books. That's the word of God. We talk about how this book is timeless. Jesus said heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Peter said in first Peter chapter one, that the word of the Lord endures forever. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 40 at about verse eight, said the word of our God stands forever. When we talk about culture and we talk about society, cultures change, people change, things change. But the beauty of scripture is it transcends time. It transcends culture. It's applicable to us. It was applicable to those who lived in the first century. It was applicable to those who lived during the days of David. It's applicable to us today. I mean, we talk about the home, the government, our school system. We look at at the business world, the corporate world. Is it not the case that the word of God addresses those issues? I'm working on a paper right now that deals with Romans chapter 13 and the civil government and the implications of the civil government. And if you look at our nation, you'll see that our nation was built on the template of scripture. And our forefathers, our predecessors here in this country, how dismayed and shocked they would be at how far we have moved from the ideals that they set forth over 200 years ago. It's amazing. There's a second thing I wanna call your attention to. Not only must we choose the truth But we must cherish the truth. We must find delight in God's Word. What do you enjoy doing in life? Do you have hobbies? Do you have interest outside of work, outside of school? Are there things that you genuinely enjoy doing in this life? All of us would probably say yes a hundred times over. What I want to encourage us to do is cherish. Find delight in God's holy word. I really believe that the truth of Almighty God ought to be a book that we treasure. Let me give you two passages of scripture. If you don't have them marked in your Bible, I would encourage you to mark them. In Psalm 119, verse 72, the psalmist said, The law of your Lord is better to me than thousands of shekels of gold and silver. I think what the psalmist is saying here is that for him, there was a premium placed on the word of God. For him, the word of God was more valuable than gold or silver, and yet we live in a world today that is in many respects materialistic, filled with greed and covetousness, and yet the psalmist is able to make a discernment. To understand that the timeless truths of Almighty God far outweigh those things that are eternal, or rather those things that are temporal in nature. As we think about how God's word ought to be a treasure to us, look also at 103. In Psalm 119, 103, here's what the psalmist said. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And so here... I think the psalmist is saying that he enjoyed feeding on the word of God. Now, we take great pleasure in good food. And in ancient times, honey was, a, honey was re- really something to be valued. And, and yet the psalmist is saying, look, I love the word of God more than honey. More than, as we might say, our favorite dessert. Having said that, I want to read for you a statement or two that I think helps to put into perspective God's holy word and why we ought to cherish this book. I came across this quotation many years ago and I've used it on a number of occasions and the reason is because I believe it's so profound. I do not know who wrote this this particular paragraph but I want you to listen to it please very carefully. And this has to do with the Bible. This book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here, paradise is restored, heaven opened, and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand object, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet, read it slowly, frequently and prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given you in life, will be opened in the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involved the highest responsibility, will reward the greatest labor, and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. That, for me, puts into perspective this great book that we call the Bible. One of the things that I want to emphasize to us tonight is developing an appreciation of value for God's holy word. And I might ask this question, how much do you value the word of God? There are 66 books in the Old and New Testaments, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, The Old Testament is given for our learning based on Romans 15 verse four. The New Testament is our law. It is our rule of faith. It's what we are to live by. And ultimately it is what will one day judge us. I wanna encourage us to spend time reading and studying and meditating the truth of God every day. I have two questions tonight as we think about valuing or treasuring the word of God. Number one, I wanna ask you, Do you meditate on God's word daily? The psalmist in Psalm 119 at verse 97 said, oh how I love your law, it is my meditation all the day. In Psalm 1 at verse 2 the psalmist said, his delight was in the law of the Lord and in it he meditated or pondered day and night. God's word ought to fill our minds we ought to develop a love affair with the word of God. It ought to bring us encouragement, comfort, support. I mean, there are so many benefits and blessings to just spending time with this book. As we think about meditating on the truth of God, I have one other quotation I wanna to read to you. And this quotation, again, is unknown. I came in in contact with this particular quote, like the first quote, many, many years ago, but I have found it to be very helpful. Here's what this unknown writer said. Many years ago, I entered the temple of God's revelation. I entered the portico of Genesis, walked down through the Old Testament art gallery where the pictures of Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and Daniel hung on the wall. I passed the music room of Psalms, where the spirit swept the keyboard of nature and brought forth the dirge-like well of the weeping prophet Jeremiah to the grand and impassioned strain of Isaiah until it seemed that every reed and pipe in God's great organ of nature responded to the tuneful touch of David, the sweet singer of Israel. I entered the chapel of Ecclesiastes where the voice of the preacher was heard and into the conservatory of Sharon and the lily of the valleys, sweet-scented spices, filled and perfumed my life. I entered the business office of the Proverbs, then into the observatory room of the prophets, where I saw telescopes of various sizes, some pointing to far-off events, but all concentrated on the Bride and morning star, which was to rise above the moonlit hills for our salvation. I entered the audience room of the King of Kings, and caught a vision of his glory from the standpoint of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John passed into the Acts of the Apostles where the Holy Spirit was doing his work in the formation of the infant church then into the correspondence room where sat Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John Peter, James, and Jude penning their epistles I stepped into the throne room of Revelation where all towered into glittering peaks and I got a vision of the king sitting upon his throne in all his glory And I cried, all hell, the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate, prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. I'm convinced that when you meditate on this book day and night and spend time in it, you will develop an appreciation for it unlike anything in this world. So number one, I ask the question, do you meditate on it? Number two, my question, do you memorize it? We we have a tremendous ability to use our minds for good. Scientists, medical researchers say that the average person uses very little of his or her human brain. This, This mind, this brain that God has given us can literally be filled to capacity with God's word. How much time do you spend memorizing this book? In Psalm 119, verse 11, the psalmist said, Your word have I laid up in my heart that I might not sin against you. Jesus said in responding to the temptations of the devil, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. One of the greatest defenses that we have against temptation, the work of the devil, is scripture. So what we ought to do is spend time every day trying to memorize a little bit of God's word. you know it you'll have a lot of scripture stored up as an arsenal, arsenal in your mind there's a third thing I want to share with you in our study and that is we must be controlled by the truth listen now if you would to what the psalmist said in verses 104 and 105 and what we're really emphasizing in this point is we must be directed by the truth every step must be in cadence with God's holy word. Here's what the psalmist said. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The Bible encourages us to study. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15 is still good scripture. Study to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The only way that we can rightly ascertain what truth is, is by studying. Peter would say, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage us to become better students of the word of God, to spend time reading, studying, meditating, and memorizing this great book. There's a passage found in Colossians chapter three, verse 17, where Paul said, let the let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And all Paul is saying there is, let the word of God find a home in your heart. We talk about being directed by the word of God, controlled by the word of God. That's what Paul is saying. Every thought, every impulse, every action governed by God's holy word. Do we make mistakes sometimes? Absolutely. Do we fall short of the glory of God? Yes, we do. There are provisions for that. But our thrust, our desire, our aim to live in submission to the will of Almighty God. So God's word has to be studied, it has to be internalized. Let me just ask you a series of questions that that I think are relevant to being controlled by God's word. Number one, are there facts that should be believed? The answer to that question would be yes. The Bible presents us with a series of facts. In Genesis chapter 1 at verse 1, the Bible begins by saying, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That is a fact. God is the one who created the world, the universe as we know it. In verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. You want to know where you came from? Then read Genesis 1:26 and 27. We came from Almighty God. He is the Father of our spirit, according to the Hebrew writer. That's a fact. We're not the products of evolution, we're not the result of some great explosion. But rather, we have been made in the image and the likeness of Almighty God. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. That is a fact. The New Testament presents ample evidence as it relates to Jesus Christ being the Son of God. That's a fact. Either He is or He is not. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? They said, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus then asked the question, but whom do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That is a fact that must be believed because Jesus said, except you believe that I am he. And the translators, the translators inserted the term he there. Really what Jesus is saying is, unless you believe that I am, you remember back in Exodus chapter 3 when God spoke to Moses and revealed himself as the great I am? Jesus is saying, unless you believe that I'm the son of God, you'll die in your sins. That's a fact. And then also, as we think about some pertinent questions, are there commands to be obeyed? And the answer would be yes. Jesus began his earthly ministry emphasizing the importance of obedience to the will of the Father. He said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. What about some of the commands of Almighty God? Well, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. When Peter preached the first gospel sermon, he said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. If we want to become a child of God, if we want to enjoy the benefits and the blessings of the blood of Christ, what do we have to do? Repent and be baptized so that we might be in the body of Christ and enjoy all spiritual blessings in Christ. I think about another command that must be obeyed. In Romans chapter 12, Paul said that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. That's what the Lord expects of us. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1 that we are to be holy because God the Father is holy. Those are are commands that must be obeyed. When Paul told Titus to be zealous for good works, that's a command of Almighty God for us to be involved in the work of the church when he would say be careful to maintain good works. So, there are facts to be believed, there are commands to be obeyed, and there are promises to be enjoyed. The Christian has so many blessings and promises. We have the presence of Almighty God daily here on planet Earth. The Hebrew writer said I will never leave you nor forsake you So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. What shall man do unto me? To know that that is a great promise that God has extended to us as believers. I think about the privilege of prayer. When Peter said, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, his ears are open to their prayers. That's a blessing to be enjoyed. Peter talks about in 2 Peter chapter 1 how God has given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. What about the hope of life eternal? There are a lot of benefits and a lot of blessings that we enjoy as as God's children, but what what would even begin to compare to our home in heaven to know that we can one day be with God Almighty? There's a fourth question. That is, are there lessons to be learned? Now, we talk about being controlled by the truth of Almighty God, When we look at scripture and we begin to analyze the word of God, we have to understand there are facts to be believed, there are commands to be obeyed, there are promises to be enjoyed, and there are lessons to be learned. Let me tell you what, you begin searching this book from cover to cover, and you will stand in awe of all the great lessons that emerge out of a study of this book. Go back to Adam and Eve, and look at at the consequences that they face because of disobedience to Almighty God. Look at the tension that led to to murder or death between Cain and Abel. And then, as we begin to go through the Old Testament, I think about Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, that child of promise, Jacob and Esau. I think about David, I'm reminded of Joseph. What a great person. What a great individual. Joseph, David, Samuel, Elijah, Jeremiah, Daniel, the great prophet of God. The list goes on and on and on. And you begin to read and to study and think about the lives of these people and guess what, you find out they were human beings and that they faced highs and lows, joys and frustrations, ups and downs, peaks and valleys. Listen, why? Why was that the case? Because they were human beings subjected to a world that is filled with suffering. We live in a world like that. So there are great lessons to be learned. One of the greatest lessons that emerges out of a study of of scripture is the fact that for every action there is a corresponding reaction Paul said, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So those are some great lessons we read in the New Testament about the life of Jesus. You want to draw closer to Jesus? Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I would challenge you to read a chapter every day of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. One chapter every day, every month. You'll be surprised how much you'll learn about the life of Jesus. And then we think about James and John, Peter, Matthew, we remind ourselves of the great exploits of the Apostle Paul. I mean, there are so many things to be learned from looking at the lives of these people. And then finally, we might ask the question when we study the scriptures, when we spend time in this book, are there sins to be avoided? The Bible is transparent, the Bible's not gray. It doesn't deal in think-sos and maybe-sos. It just says, this is truth, this is error. This is right, this is wrong. This is good, and this is evil. How can you and I discern good and evil? Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14 tells us the only way is by being knowledgeable in this book, the Bible. How can I save myself a lot of heartache? Let me tell you how. Spend time in this book. Did you know that Paul said abstain from the very appearance of evil? I said a moment ago that for every action there is a corresponding reaction. Look, look at our country tonight. Look at, look at all of the problems that we're facing in our nation. I'm not saying that we could do away with all of our problems because there are some problems that, that will be ongoing, pain and suffering, etc. But there are a lot of problems that people are caught up in tonight. And let me tell you why. Because they haven't listened to the voice of inspiration. Inspiration says there are sins to be avoided. You can't live like the devil and not suffer the consequences. You can't choose to be the master of your own ship, the captain of your life, Ignore God, live in disobedience to him, and not pay a heavy price. That's what our world needs to hear. That's why this book is so important. That's why we ought to treasure this book. We ought to read it. We ought to study it. We ought to meditate on it. And above all, we ought to strive to live by it every day. What about you? How great is your appreciation for truth? If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to come to Christ, believing that he is the Son of God. If you'll obey the gospel, the Bible tells us that you will be added to the church, Acts 2, verse 47. And once you're in the body of Christ and in Christ, you'll enjoy all these great spiritual blessings and you'll have the quality of life defined as eternal, 1 John 2, 25. And if you live faithfully until death, the promise is the crown of life. If you're here tonight, you're not faithful, could we, could we encourage you to come home, to come back to a loving God who has promised to abundantly pardon 1 John 1, 9 as we stand and sing.